Ed Brown, who I met, he came here one day, like any number of poets come in the door and say, um, I'd like to read some poetry on stage one day. I believe this was probably about two and a half years ago that, uh, that Ed first approached me about getting a reading. And um, over the time, he's participated in a number of open readings here at the Bry and elsewhere around town and has moved on. At the time, he was a student at the University of uh, Texas, uh, A&M, <laughs> A&M, um, and has studied with the uh, noted playwright Charles Gardone. Um, so he brings all of that to his work, and recently, about a year ago, I saw him, uh, the first production of one of his plays at Theater Center of Philadelphia, which is quite a tribute, if you think about it, to have someone of Ed's uh, youthfulness to have a play mounted and produced at a major theatrical venue in a large city like Philadelphia. That's quite an accomplishment. Um, and I was there on opening night, and I was, I was very proud of him. Um, Ed Brown is poet, playwright, and founder of Persona Art, which I will explain in a minute. Ed Brown's most recently produced play, Something Like the Weather, debuted at the Theater Center Philadelphia. The Adolescent Human is his first completed manuscript of poetry, prose, and prose poetry. Persona Art, according to Ed, is the traditional philosophical democratic psycho psychology of America, i.e., the making and maintaining of dreams through impressionism and expressionism via mnemonics. Ed Brown. from uh, The Adolescent Human, as well as from my uh, manuscript in progress called From Society to City to Culture Again. The Duck Girl. Marietta, breast exposed, duck wriggling beside her covered one under her arm, steadfast in her motion, retrieved. The wild duck honks and squawks, only able to move his neck while clapping the vapid air with his bill. Where are these two going? Her smile is deathly as the look in his eye. Has she found the daily plumage for the supper table? Full of zest is the breast, and so of the duck on the brink of a fulfilling, redundantly stuffing evening. And so are the mothers in the park, clipping their sons, angels, wings, supervising, having once revealed their bosom, offering life, milk suffling. As so, now we have been weaned, now as wild as the duck, we look for a Marietta to embrace us, to love us, to put us up for sacrifice. Tete tete. Dinner. Two. Touching feet. Dancing. Two. Cheek to cheek. Silhouettes, two, looking like one. 
cigarettes, two shots of rum. Yeah. Core proposal. Alas, are we one? Am I exposed, not vulnerable, not sore? Am I sure of my disposition? My stomach in knots, aware of my plots, giving you seeds for your pots. Fertile, have I been unfertilized? I love the gardener, unearthed am I, eroded, the worst, looking for soil, who cultivates not the flesh, but the core. Dangling, wanting, needing, feeding the soul, carbon, oxygen, vitamin, nutrient, where have I been? Man or condition? Plant me, please. A blue baby boy. The day began early for Sarah. She awakened before her alarm. Today, for some reason, she was ahead of schedule. Hmm. She rolled out of bed and looked out the window. This, Sarah's. The clouds are hiding behind, the sun is hiding behind the clouds. Sarah scratched the back of her leg while staring into the view. But the somber yellow, like a well-cooked egg yolk, hypnotically stirred Sarah. Every morning, she arose to the announcing rays of the sun. The sky and its clouds, the clouds and their shapes, the shapes and their meaning. The sky was Sarah's Rorschach. Time for breakfast. Sarah rubbed her stomach as she made her way stiff-leggedly into the kitchen. She was in no hurry. Her alarm had not gone off yet. Jerry stayed in bed. In his life, time, place were of no concern. He lived for her, for Sarah. Jerry's industrious character contented him. It moved him. And now, sleeping with his face in the pillow, he awakened. He yawned stretched, felt. Sarah, Sarah, the alarm has not gone off yet, or has it? Jerry pulled the covers around himself and got out of bed. Looks like another dreary day. His hair was matted and his feet were bare. He took light, courtly steps on the cold floor. Sarah was busy slicing a tomato. Good morning, Caesar. Did you sleep well? Jerry moved about the kitchen, making mental notes. We have to get ready, you know, pack. The pack poofed from his pickled breath. Brush your teeth before you talk to me. Here, eat this. Sarah placed the sky with a slice of tomato on the table. Enjoy. Jerry sat down. She did it to me again. Sarah seemed to do that, turn his dreariness into liveliness. Good morning, Sarah. She went back to bed. Got to get ready. Jerry hunched over his plate and moved cautiously as he tried to keep the blanket from sliding off his shoulders. Coffee. He looked around and found the instant. They were a lovely couple. They were easily pleased. Their lives did not contain much adversity or diversity. Just the two of them, that was everything. Jerry went back to bed. The day was still young. Jerry yawned and looked over to Sarah. Wake up! 
Hmm? Jerry figured that she did not want to be disturbed. Sitting up in bed, he tried to recall his dream. Now what was it? Screaming? Yes, screaming. Jerry looked out, looked at the window. The sun shone through the blue curtains, forcing the white walls to embrace the shade. He viewed the blue hue on the wall as it changed when the clouds passed. As the hue deepened, the calmer the clamor of his recall. As the hue became more intense, his auditory recall sharpened. The screaming bounced in his head. The bright, impotent blue illuminated his bed. The room began to dance as the clouds quickened. Jerry rubbed his ears, rubbed his eyes. The dream contrasts. What is it? What is what? Are you sure you want to do this? Sarah rubbed Jerry's leg. Scaredy cat, you've got no balls. She laughed, giving a playful grasp. Sure, you can talk. What time do we leave? No reply. If she told him, he would become angry, and she did not feel like hassling with him. Glances. These types of trips aren't planned. I mean, I know when, but I prefer spontaneity. Lie down. Relax. Pretend you're on vacation. Let me do the worrying. Sarah spoke with confidence. She hated to be interrogated. The clouds covered the sun. The room remained a cool indigo. Sarah had done it to him again. She could lower his temperament. She knew what the blue meant. She knew the sky. Just add water. The sky, sprinkling, dripping droplets of pale pastels, pings upon impact on people, daring enough to face the situation head on without personal protection. Dodging the darting umbrellas while intermediately glancing down to avoid potholes and puddles. Running on and on are those who believe they cannot get wet, who stand corrected beneath the entranceway, wiping their face in disgrace. Stiff collars jut up the neck to prevent the chill from sneaking down the spine, arresting the smug sweat beneath the belt. Eyelids, however, do flutter as swirls contort shivers into spasms, surly orgasms due to barometrical chasms. In transcendentally, the mist arises into fog, debilitating buildings, sliding the scrapers of their line. The seen unseen humid humility caused by covert forms of spontaneous hydrolysis. Thanks. A public waste receptacle, a lone garbage bag whose only support is a steel wicker basket waits to be refused. The Mark of Max. The Mark of Max. Back in the bushes, I can feel the beat. I imagine I'm in the jungle, but actually I'm on the street. People pass by, they laugh, they cry. They wonder who I am, for they cannot look me in the eye. People say that I'm dirty, that I'm just a slob. However, I am a person, a person with no real job. But I work real hard, like an animal in the city zoo. For if I didn't, I would starve in reality, still homeless, still blue. 
I have not lost respect for nature. I am no fool. I am living in the jungle where survival is the golden rule. I listen for their beats. I can hear it come. Mister, can you spare a quarter? This is my life as a bum. Old Woman and the City. A woman wearing sunglasses, thrift store clothing, and her old man's fishing cap made her way to the market. The items? Tomatoes, onion, lettuce, mayo, mustard, bread, etc. With an angled elbow and her stretch-to-fit grocery bag, the woman vehemently refused help from the scout. Prideful innocence. The sun, sweltering waves, fathomless degrees, licking her pastely painted lips. Lemon water ice, please. The bait, the bite, a struggle for spite, too late. With plastic remnants, the old woman could only say, bastard shark stole my tuna. The goat, the giant frog, the lion, and the snake. Erected tail, furled spine, protruding ears, alerted horns, advanced in his gruffed temperament. How peculiar is this ogreish billy who stamps his hooves belligerently and wrinkles his nose while braying whimperingly. His collar, handcrafted leather, is almost hidden by his sophomoric goatee. The rope lost beneath the matted grass has been through and through gnawed as he is there still by and by. Such a brazen dedication to the square could only have been presented by goaded colleagues who finally had the last neigh. Cornelli, perched on granite, overlooking the lilies, legs lean, primed for leaping, back forked, tense from sitting, awaits little bugs, never blinking her bulging eyes. The French curled tongue within, resting patiently to lash out in order to fill her famished belly. The manic depressor at the serpent snarling, paused the constrictor, his lordliness displaying. Bound is the voluptuous boa, fleeing not into fear. Beaming is the merciless boa, fighting spitefully, my dear. What a farce, carnivorous, for a sculpture ominous to make the statement supercilious for reasons so romantically stupendous. Grubby little squirrel. One Sunday, sitting in the park, eating my favorite lemon blueberry, a squirrel snuck up and stood beside me on the bench, eyeing my muffin. I placed a piece in my mouth, pretending not to notice. Oh, look, exclaimed the waltzer, it's Grubby. I waved to the waltzer reassuringly like a dummy. 
grinning knowingly. Good luck, Walter proclaimed. Grubby, who had been ignoring his fans, leaned forward, not flinching nor twitching. Yeah! I shouted at the interloper. Ignored me, he did, stepping, stepping even closer. Now he began to shut a box before me. I shoved the blueberry in his mouth to get things over, and still he stared at the muffin. So I offered willfully. He ate the rest, leaving the wrapper for me to discard. Ingrate, I mumbled. Soon you'll be a fat, obese lard. I left waltzing, realizing no longer a crime is it to feed an animal, especially something as cute as a grubby little squirrel. Omnivore. Omnivore, omnivore, they calm the eating whore. Omnivore, omnivore, they close the grocery store. The omnivore does not think. The omnivore does not eat pink. He is afraid of trigonosis. That's his only psychosis. Omnivore, omnivore, they close the grocery eat. They call him the eating whore. Omnivore, omnivore, they close the grocery store. The omnivore does not believe in gluttony. Anorexia is his agony. Everything, everybody thinks that it's a felony, but that's part of his eating history. Omnivore, omnivore, they call him the eating whore. Omnivore, omnivore, they close the grocery store. If he dies, so what? Who cares? But who's going to carry him down the stairs? Leave him up there to ride at the door and tell the story of the great omnivore. Omnivore, omnivore, they call him the eating whore. Omnivore, omnivore, they close the grocery store. By the Delaware. As chilly as a yawn's shudder, the exhale encapsulates the after-hour solemnity. Overhead, the lights descend as the undercurrent tows in the sigh. By the Delaware, life in the city could not be more comforting. HGP Revisited. A father of no relation, of similar surname, who stood in the brotherly castle, who perhaps is standing, is still standing, shared with me his own epistle. There was a young, arrogant, but fine fellow who found with some difficulty to say hello. Walking down the street, and lo and behold, a passerby, this passerby by chance was a goofy guy and also by chance said hi. The fellow grimaced. The guy smiled and said, What makes you tick? What makes me wild? Remarked the fellow. The fact of knowing and then knowing. The guy stood in his tracks. Are you sure? A sure thing? The fellow, without a doubt, test me if you like. I'm no flunky hack. Live or dead, the fellow said swoopingly, in my hands is a pigeon which I shall place behind my back. The guy twitching, suspecting anomaly, that this fellow was thinking abnormally, thought ponderingly, understandingly. If he replied, alive, the fellow would quickly pummel the pigeon and jeer jive. And if he claimed the winged, winged fel- wonder 
to be dead. The fellow would release the hackneyed and blurt bum's dead. Wisely the guy chose unknowingly. As the matter stands, the pigeon's life remains in your hands. The guy hailed a cab, and the fellow stared yonder like a slab. So the rest of the story went, paraphrasing, or, as footnoted, as I revisited, para-engaging the fellow guy lying beneath the cement. Okay? Surah! Surah! Knotted old oak. When I was a child, my aged grandmother said to me that if you frown so frequently, if you wrinkle your face, it will stay that way. Just like that knotted old oak just like your grandfather when the floor quakes beneath your feet having a foot the length of a foot just one short of a yard. Putting left and right together is not hard. I have two long feet. During the time when puberty finally commenced, my body was still quite firmly condensed, except for my toes and the rest of that particular self. In my neighborhood, I was acknowledged as the big-footed elf, a lot of bones with a little meat. Now when, crossing the road, I rove like a cluck, when waiting in the pool, I paddle like a duck. Trying to conceal such a finesse has caused me some duress. What can one do when he waddles and doesn't wear a dress? Be very discreet. So when the floor quakes beneath your feet, just remember to never think that you are incomplete. The frustrated artist. Who am I? I who am possessed with poetic desire. I who adore and wish to aspire. If I am as if the others, the artist, then my life is not my life and my work is not my work. I know the saying, one's philosophy is another's, but how is this idea compiled? I am fathomless. Who am I? I who am descended and transcended in reverie, I who question myself constantly. If I place myself into a war, a crusade, then with my life, my life is not my life, and with my work I can never win. I know the saying, but how is this idea compiled? I am fathomless. Who am I? I who am angered, lost in obscurity, I who have starved in hope of originality. If I pursue my quest, my hunger, then my life will be my life and my work will be my work. Alas, I understand the saying, I am fathomless.
obscurity. Guess what I'm thinking? Nirvana, the wheel of fortune. Spin the wheel and make it turn. Stopped on bankrupt, have no money to burn. Have to wait to come back again, maybe as a cow or on a higher plane. And it's recyclable. Some believe that the pen is mightier than the sword. However, without paper, you ain't got diddly. On guard. Portrait of an artist. Excuse me. Yes. No. Maybe so. Thank you. <laughs>